0: Okay. And when I opened the bag, I discovered that I had packed two left shoes of the same, same pair. I mean, I have two pairs of that pair of shoes because it used to be my regular traveling shoes, like my, my work, my business travel shoes. And I showed up with two left shoes. and I'm like, what am I going to do? I mean, you can't even put them on. It's not even shy to put them on. And the shoes that I had come in because we had driven in were like clogs. Like, I couldn't wear those on a conference floor. <laughs> so I had to wait until a store opened, and then I bought a pair of shoes. And then I was able to go to the conference. And I was thinking how much that encapsulated, really, the Sha'as Ali Koltzarki and the shoes, because it sounds like such a small thing, you know? Like, at least I had shoes. At least I had the shoes I came in. And yet, I couldn't really make progress. I couldn't achieve what I had come to achieve with two left shoes. I really couldn't. You know, and I had to, like I lost an hour or an hour and a half on the conference floor because I was, (laughs) well, it wasn't so stressful because the night before when we had arrived, I had actually seen where the store was, where there was a shoe store with decent shoes that I would be able to stand in all day, so. Actually, Hashem had prepared the Rafua before the makkah because I knew exactly where to go and it wasn't even so far away, you know. And they even opened at 9.45 instead of 10, which was lucky oh, for right. me. So I just got a little bit of a late start and it wasn't really as serious as it might have been. But um, it's, it's, it's also encapsulated for me. It's funny, I didn't think of it last week, but it encapsulated so well that sort of... Um, the importance of the shoes and the smallness of the shoes. And that idea that, on the one hand, when we're thanking Hashem, when we tie up our shoes, that it's even the shoelace, really. It's literally even the shoelace, because it's when we tie our shoes. So it's, in a way, it's a way of thanking Hashem for even the very smallest thing. And it's also a way of realizing that even the very smallest thing is not really so small. When you need that very smallest thing, it's suddenly not so small, it's suddenly very big, like a shoelace, even more than the shoe, perhaps, because... It holds it all together. If you ever had shoes that are supposed to have laces and didn't have a lace. Mm -hmm. Like the whole shoe even doesn't really work because you're missing the lace. um, What is that? For want of a nail, the kingdom was lost. Do you know that poem? No. This British thing? It's like for want of a nail, the horseshoe was lost. For want of the shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the messenger was lost. For want of the messenger, the message was lost. And for want of the message the battle was lost. And for want of the battle, the war was lost. And all for the want of a nail. Hmm. Like Oh, it's a tiniest thing. Yeah, it's a nail in a shoe. It's actually a really good appropriate poem for this, uh, for this bracha that sometimes it's the smallest thing, but if the smallest thing is part of your shoe, you can't go forward. So the smallest thing is sometimes is the biggest thing. And I just suddenly was sitting here and remembered that this had happened to me and that feeling of opening it up and kind of looking blankly. I took them out. I didn't realize at first. And then when I was holding them in my hand, I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I have done that. Anyway, so we spoke last week. We spoke last week about the, the balance of the shoe and the shoelace being the smallest thing and on the other hand being the biggest thing. When you have your shoes on, you are now ready to go out and move through the world and accomplish. We spoke about um, about shoes as being uh, as really being a symbol of domination and power. And so um, the brothers, for example, bought shoes. The Shvatim bought shoes when they were going to, with the money from which they sold Yosef, because they were resisting and reacting against his dream, saying that he would be in power over them. Um, and the sort of fine line between the, let's say the being a despot, right, kind of power and productive pride power. So there's a certain pride and a certain relevance to having shoes and to being able to use them to get to our goal And since they help get us to our goal, that is what entitles us to take advantage of others. That's the kind of power. So where there's the goal, I've got my goal, and I'm gonna use other people to get to it. So you can hear how that very quickly becomes a dictatorship, right? And not a very nice one. (laughs) On the other hand, there's also, human beings, and you've got an objective, and you've got a goal, and it's the same objective as the objective of the entire world, and therefore, in order to help you get to where you're going, you can recruit the whole world to your purpose, because you're as long as it is really the correct purpose, then you've got the whole world that that's their purpose too. So you're the one who can use them. So that's a different kind of power, the power to use animals, for example. To use the earth. Well, who who has the right to break into the earth and say, I'm going to take these flowers out and I'm gonna make more room for the flowers I want. What gives you the right to do it? What gives you the right to to take advantage and to use for your own purposes anything on the planet? And the answer is nothing. But you do have the right to use everything on the planet for God's purposes, just not for your purposes. So when you're using it for your own purposes, you become a bully, you become a despot, you become a dictator. When you're using the world for God's purposes, you're becoming the leader of a very great world, all of whom are united in a purpose of serving God. So this is kind of that. There's a fine line there, and, and that's where focus is. So there's that, there is that danger of Gaiva we kind of mentioned. OK. An interesting example of this is chalitza, right? So if a man, chalitza comes up on Shavuos, of course, with Rus, um, if a man passes away and he and his wife have not had any children, then it is a mitzvah for the man's brother to marry the widowed wife. In order that they should, the the main purpose of that is that the, um, that this new couple, now by the way, marrying, marrying your brother's wife is forbidden by the Torah. It's only in this case where the Torah says you should. Okay, why? In order that they will continue to have children, and since the, the first husband and the husband's brother are very close branches on the same larger branch of the Jewish family tree, of souls, so to speak, so when a child is born, it has a lot in common even with the first husband, who's not the genetic father. He's the genetic uncle, right? But because they're so close, he actually is the spiritual father of the child. And you see that in Rus, right? Where they... it's... Um, you even have it before Rus, right? The the earlier family tree of David and Melech, where Yehuda has two sons and privately they're sinning. Nobody knows about this, but they're privately sinning and therefore they die. So the first one dies and his wife is Tamar and they haven't had any children, which is the fault of the first husband. So they marry her to the second brother. That's why she married the second brother and she marries the second brother He also died without having children. Now she should marry the third brother, but he was very, very young. So you just said, well, wait till he grows up. And then when he grew up, they saw they weren't marrying her to him. Now he was probably much younger than she was. And ultimately, she managed to to, uh, trick, whatever, to get Yehuda to have a relationship with her in order that she could continue the line, which was the correct thing to do. Even though it was a very unusual way of doing it, and we wouldn't necessarily recommend doing that. Don't try that at home. It's very likely. He certainly had a contract with her. He had a wedding contract with her. No, I mean, not just his this card or his screen. No, he, he had a contract. The truth is, even just giving somebody something is considered making a contract. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see when they make these halakhic contracts, they use a handkerchief or a yarmulke or In, in Megillah's Rus' it describes them using a shoe, mm-hmm. um, which I think I mentioned some, of say Say could be a glove. In wraps, but right, so that's that's what they're using it for. They're making a a big exchange. It's it's the, the marrying the wife, and it's also all the property. So I don't know I don't know what he actually did, but it wouldn't be concerning if he only gave her something. That's just as good. Nowadays, in a wedding, we do multiple forms of kiddushin. I think, I mean, there are gemaras, which obviously I haven't learned, that describe different ways of marrying a woman that's legitimate. It's very interesting because marrying a woman, you know, you hear people get like all upset about it because the Torah uses the word that sounds like a choir. But all the halakhos of marrying a woman are the, or not the halakhos, the halachos aren't the same, but legitimate ways of forming that contract are the same as forming a contract for land, not for property, not for stuff. Why is that? Because you can't own land. You can't own land. Eretz Yisrael is it's God's land. Right? You get to a yovel, it all goes back to where God wanted it to go in the beginning. You aren't good, he'll send you out. It's his land. You can't own you can't fully own land in Eretz Yisrael. So it's the same thing. You can't, own a, you can't own a wife. Right? It's a kind of a bond but it's not an ownership the way you own the box of tissues or a coffee cup. It's different. It's not the same transaction. The transaction between physi- real estate and a wife is much closer than any other kind of belonging, because you can't own either one. <laughs> They're never really yours. Is it true that never ownership? Um, it's not called ownership. I saw a very beautiful quote from Ravolbi. He was quoting a Gemara. You know, there's a Gemara that says that a man should love his wife as much as himself and respect her more than himself. But I had never seen the end of that quote. I'd never seen the end. It goes on to say why. Because Braha only comes into the home because of the wife. It's not a... But they say um, a wife or a husband is ol. Is an ol? Like, like a burden. Like a yoke. I've never heard that. I never heard that, but the truth is, all mitzvahs, you can see them either as ol or you can see them as ow. like you can see them as something that lifts you up or something that weighs you down. But all mitzvahs are, t- are tying you to a commitment, right? That you have more to carry, but you want to have more to carry. And the end, the end picture of life is, you want to be granted the privilege of carrying more. You want to be strong enough to carry more. You don't really want to be somebody who's too weak to be able to do any more than, you know, any more than my mother wants to not have to wear shoes every day. true she doesn't have to wear shoes every day, but that's because my mother can't stand anymore. So she doesn't have to wear shoes every day. So is that lucky? No. Really, you'd rather be able to do the walking. You'd rather be able to wear the shoes. You'd rather be married. You'd rather have children. You'd rather, you know, we're not all zocha to everything. But being given a burden and having a lot to do, that's a, that's a privilege. That's a good sign. It means you're strong enough. And you want to be. It's very exhausting. It's very exhausting, but it's a good thing. Okay. That's true, but you can get to where you're not suffering. I was having this conversation. You know, nothing now, since the Eight das, nothing is 100% positive or negative experience. For the most uh, everything is a blend a little more, a little less, right? It really depends what we're looking at. It really depends what we're looking at. When you feel like you're getting to what you want, you, you don't care about the rest of it so much. And certainly, after the pain is over, you don't care. Yeah, yeah. Well you're, you're happy to, even if you don't forget. It was worth it. In the middle of it, you don't want the pain. But after the fact, the pain, it was worth it. OK, so, Chalitza. This is the Psukim and Devarim. If a man does not want to marry, his sister-in-law, his widowed sister-in-law, he can go up to the gate, uh, the sister-in-law can go up to the gates where there's a Canemar, to the Bay's and say, (laughs) My my brother-in-law, the one who's supposed to do Yibum for me, refuses to raise up, to establish his brother a name in Israel. He refuses to continue his brother's name. That's not a very nice thing to say about somebody. Right? And then she should, uh, she should approach the brother-in-law in front of the rabbis and remove his shoe. <laughs> she takes his shoe off from off his foot and spits before him and says, <clears throat> This is what we do to a man who doesn't build his brother's home. It happens to be I have friends in Palo Alto, and they just had a, a Khalifa. So I brought you a picture. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I well, can't distribute the pictures that have faces in them. But this is, this is actually a man's foot in the shoe, and she's untying the shoe. And they brought, here's a picture of the, mm-hmm. they had the, the apparently the person who has expertise in this, you could pass it around. He brought um, a special shoe that he has only for chalitza purposes. I don't know anything more than that, except that it was striking that you'll see. I'll I'll read you this little passage from Rav Hirsch, but um, it's it's striking that that the 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 straps are clearly tefillin straps, clearly Mm -hmm. tefillin straps. Not that they were on tefillin and moved to a shoe, but they're the kind of straps you use for tefillin. Yeah, Yeah. very wild, right? Have to do that Absolutely, you have to. Here's another interesting thing I learned. Okay, um, when it comes to yibum and chalitza, because chalitza is basically the other. You can do one mitzvah or the other, yibum or chalitza. Chalitza is a little more embarrassing for the man, right? Um, but it can be that they don't like each other. They don't. Who knows? Okay. Apparently, it is the job of the zikanim to advise which mitzvah to do. So they are supposed to advise, apparently there's a Gemara that says that, for example, if the woman is 13 years old and the man is 80 years old, mm-hmm. or the man is 13 years old and the woman is 80 years old, that's an extreme example, okay, then the Zakanim should, should advise to do chalitza. Now he has to do chalitza because the Zakanim advised him to do chalitza, not ibum. Okay, let's say he has a wife who's going to feel horrible that he married another wife. Mm-hmm. It's not hermit's rather to marry the sister-in-law. Right? So she doesn't have to like it. So, then they might advise him, uh, don't don't marry her. Instead, do chalitza. Alright? So, it's been a long time already that the Chachamim had, have advised everybody don't do yibum, do chalitza. And that has to do with the nature of the mitzvah of chalitza, <coughs> which is, uh, of yibum actually, because yibum is marrying a sister-in-law, which is actually someone who's forbidden. Not allowed to marry your brother's wife. So, you, in order to do an assay that's docha alo ase, that means a positive commandment which is pushing away a negative. Here, the positive commandment of yibum would be pushing away the negative commandment of marrying a sister-in-law. Um, you have to really be doing it li- only for the sake of the mitzvah and lashem shemayim, and that's really hard to do. So, because of that, the chachamim already long ago established we advise everybody chalitza. So we don't have yibum anymore. We only have chalitza. But the mitzvah exists. The, the mitzvah still hangs, but we always choose chalitza. But we don't do it nowadays. Sure, we do. Everybody who chalitza. Who it's <coughs> not so common. It's very rare mitzvah. This is this one. I done, saw the faces of the people. They were really quite old. Is it only done if you if you would want to marry that person? No. If you don't want to marry them, you have to do chalitza. So if you want no, to, no. If you would, would want yibum. to marry them and they refuse you, that's when you, you still do have it. to do chalitza. Do no, 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 no. If person, you're not doing yibum, you have to do chalitza. If there were no kids, oh, so yibum is when a brother marries his dead brother's wife in order that they should have children, and it will continue the name of the brother who passed but nobody away. Nobody think that We'd hear about it more often. Right? Very, very rare. No, know, but. If if it's what, a if you, do you have, have situations like I'm trying to think who do we know? Like, no, but if somebody <laughs> loses their, I am not good at the family <laughs> thing. If somebody yeah. loses like their husband, that? they don't go right away I, and, the, and, and they, they had no children. Children. Married, though, oh. the children. no children. Got it. Oh. And I don't and it could and okay, if he had children by another wife earlier or something, that's also. Okay, but there's also, no Yibo. Also, It's in order it, that he his okay, his okay, neshama will come to point. living longer and then probably these people were quite older. Yeah, it's very kids anyway. No, no, but She's it was, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The mitzvah, is the, matter. mitzvah. the mitzvah. Is the mitzvah. Wow. It could be that it's it would make it easier. for him, isn't it? Was it is embar- it's shameful, but he was doing the mitzvah. It's shameful because it's saying he doesn't want to marry me. It and sounds
1: terrible. It sounds terrible. Yeah, That's in that order sense. to
0: encourage him to marry her <laughs> for the sake of the brother and for her sake. The truth is, if you think about it, <clears throat> in a society where, especially you know, if you've been the wife for who knows how many years, and there you are, and all of a sudden you're on your own. And who says she has a father's home to go back to? It really does protect her by keeping her in the family. It's a very protective mitzvah. I have a question that's complete. Is that also said in, Ar- in Aramaic, just like the um, uh, Tuba is? I don't know. I wasn't there. You I only saw a couple Aramaic pictures. Aramaic is not so embarrassing <laughs> because you don't really. You don't understand know. it? Only, no only, only curds I, and, yeah. Can I ask you a question? I'm so sorry. But <laughs> it's okay, but we should probably move on because police is not really the topic. <laughs> do you do no, it to all the girls? I want to go back to shoes. No. I mean, to the original, and, and I can ask you this later yeah. if you Sha'a want to. Where? How did we start off? <clears> how did we get to shoes? shoes? <laughs> so the, bra- the Gemara says, when a person ties his shoes... You should say the bracha, barucha Hashem ukenu me'ol halam she'asa tarki. That is the source of the blessing. We are got thanking it. God for our shoes. So that's, that's what... That's really the that's ultimate where we, need. We have other brachas for the other... For other uh, things, for even other for walking, but that was... Okay. Okay, got it. So, let's get back to uh, where we were going with this. Everyone in my house is waiting for all the answers. For all the answers on the questions. <laughs> oh, no pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought it was so weird. Uh, shoes, are, shoes are a very really interesting topic. Okay. I appreciate that more now. Right? Yeah, yeah, Okay, so here's one point here. The, med- the Chazal tell us, this is the Gemara in Sota, when Avram said, I refuse to take from you, King of Sodom, I'm not going to take your people, I'm not going to take your booty, except for what already, you know, is earned by the people who have done the fighting, and we'll give 10% for Miser. He says, but I won't take even a string or even a shoe strap. Srochanal is a shoe strap. So as a reward, his descent, Avraham's descendants merited two mitzvahs. Now there are two different girsas on what the mitzvahs are. But one of them is the chut of Techeles, the string, chut. He said, I won't take even a string. So his children got a mitzvah of a string. You understand, mitzvahs are a reward. We always see giving a mitzvah as giving a reward. That's a positive opportunity. Okay, so he said, "I won't even take a string from you." We get the string of techeiles, the strand of blue on the tzitzis, and he said, "I won't even take a shoe strap." <clears throat> and as a reward, his children merited the mitzvah of the straps of the tefillin. So you start to see here. I mean, I, as soon as I saw this picture from the chalitza, and you can see that whoever designed this chalitza shoe was using a tefillin-style strap as the strap of the shoe. That's because there is actually a connection of the shoe strap and the tefillin. They're related to each other, okay? They're both leather straps. They're both elevating man. One is at the very top of our head, the tefillin, and one is at the very bottom of the feet. It's like literally from head to toe, this merit of mitzvot and being chosen to serve Hashem. And because we are lead- taking a leadership role in serving Hashem, all of creation may be recruited by us in order to help achieve that goal, because that is a common goal, and we're just leading in it. You might put it like this. They're leather straps. It's, it's the permission to use the animal. It's also the permission to use the animal of us, but it's also permission to use the animal around us, for this sake. Okay, it's interesting, well, while we're on the topic of, you know, you may have noticed what the woman says. What the Pusuk says the woman should say when she takes the shoe off, she says, This is what we do. gives me a space, to a person who will not build his brother's home. Right? Did it sound familiar? From Esther? Yeah. This is what we do to a man, Asher Hamelah, which Picaro, which whom Hashem wishes to honor. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what Haman said. "You should say that about me." And they said it about Mordechai and Mordechai's dominion over Haman is from his shoe. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Madrash, that in their, in their youth, they were both mm-hmm. serving in Ahasuerus' army, and they were officers, and they each they had been sent somehow in the same direction with their units for quite a long trip, and they had been given a certain amount of provisions, and Mordechai realized it was barely gonna make it, and so he rationed out all the provisions and Haman just let every he wanted to be popular he let everyone have as much as they wanted and they ran out less than halfway through and he had nothing to feed his unit and so he came to Mordecai he said share with us and Mordecai's like you kidding like we're being so careful that's the only reason we have anything he said but they're going you know my soldiers are going to die the king is going to have it in for me he says you want to sell yourself to me as a slave then I'll do it otherwise not he said fine i'll even sell myself to you as a slave and they wrote the contract on the bottom of Mordecai's shoe they wrote it on his shoe. And that's one, one explanation for why he didn't wish. Uh, that is not the explanation. That's just the backstory. But that is an explanation for why Mordecai refused to bow to Haman and why Haman was so mad about it. Because as long as Mordecai not bowing, there's a really big risk that people are going to say, how come he's not bowing? How come you're not doing anything about it? And he's gonna, it's going to get out that he's a slave. He sold himself. He totally blew it. He messed everything up. He squandered everything the king had sent him with. He didn't use the tools correctly that he had been given in the world in order to achieve the objective. Mordecai did. And therefore, he even had the right to recruit Haman into his world of resources, so to speak. I, I, I didn't see anywhere that Mordecai ever took advantage of the fact that he had this slave called Haman. Doesn't seem to have actually cashed in on that. Right? But he had the right to own Haman. Why? Because you have the right to use in the world that which you need for the Avodah Zasham. By the way, not more. So, Shishan, we saw that in Mr. El-Sishan, about precious when we talked about, right, that, that he says you should take what you need from the world. You just shouldn't take any more. <laughs> That's the hard part for most of us. Not taking more. But it's not so much that we have to take what we need. Okay. Well, for one thing, they elevate us off the earth itself, which is really our topic for today. Okay. So and basically the idea of getting there is putting on shoes. Here's reverse is a sign of engaging in self-reliant activity. Meaning, when you put your shoes on, now I can go and do. Not that someone else will do for me. Okay, so the the brother-in-law who doesn't marry his dead brother's wife or widow, we take his shoe off. Because we're saying, you're not progressing the way you should. You're not interacting with the world as you should to progress. And you deserve to have your shoe taken off of you because it's like you're taking the shoe off your brother, off the dead brother, because you're not letting him progress in the world. So it's sort of like a, not a punishment, but like, right? Like you're stopping your brother from continuing walking in this world. If you would have a child for him, then he would continue to live through that child. And because you're refusing to do the mitzvah, so now you should also be held back. Like it would be fair. That, that's kind of the meaning of the taking the shoe off for the chalitza. Okay. But there's something else we know about shoes, and it, we kind of touched on it when we talked about the brothers using the money from the sale of Yosef to buy shoes, which is when someone is on holy ground, he might have to remove his shoes because the land is holy. Right? So when Moshe Rabbeinu first ha- sees the burning bush, the sneh, Hashem says to him, take your shoes off your feet, because the land upon which you are standing is holy. And there's even a case with Yehoshua, because Yehoshua is very much a reflection of Moshe. Yehoshua also is visited by a Malach, and the Malach says, take your shoe off your foot. All right. So, if that's so, how do we understand that? Like, if, Is it holier not to be wearing shoes? Or is it holier to be wearing shoes? Because it kind of sounds like wearing the shoes is a good thing. And taking off the shoes is somehow embarrassing. But if you're in a holy place and you're taking off your shoes, then that would seem like, like, is it better to be touching the ground or is it better not to be touching the ground? Doesn't seem perfectly clear. So here's how Rav Hirsch puts it. This is not his language. This is his statement. Taking off shoes. Putting on shoes is the sign of self-reliant activity. I'm going to be able to do things. So taking off shoes is a sign of relinquishing independence. So as Americans, that's bad. But in the context of facing God, that might be very good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So... That means that the bracha of she'asali koltsarki. thank you Hashem for making for me everything I need. Remember how we mentioned that there's an interplay there of the fact that I do need and giving me everything I need. So thank you for giving me everything I need for independent human achievement. You recognize that there is a duality to the statement, right? Thank you, God, for giving me, okay, that's dependence. That's, you are giving me mm-hmm. everything I need for independent human achievement. Thank you for giving me what I need to be self-reliant. That's, that's really what it means. I think if you could sum up a, a perfect kavanah for that bracha, it almost would be that. Thank you for giving me what I need to do it on my own means I understand it's real, it's from you, but I'm so grateful you're giving me a chance to do it. Because as we said, Hashem could do it for us and we wouldn't be the ones carrying the yoke. We wouldn't be the ones taking the steps through the street, so we're grateful to do it and we're grateful to have the chance to do it, the chance to be independent. Sort of like you know when you first have that dawning realization that it isn't the rest of the world that's making you unhappy. (laughs) <laughs> that's inside of you the choice to be happy or unhappy even though circumstances might be really really challenging and difficult and it's such a difficult thing to absorb and accept because it's so clear that everything around you is what's making you unhappy and finally you realize you have the choice but once you do absorb that idea yeah, I know it's painful <laughs> once you do absorb that idea and you realize it you're also tremendously liberated right it's, it's both and then you're like, thank you, Hashem, for giving me the ability. Like, at first, I didn't want to be the one responsible. I didn't want to have control. It's easier to be a victim. It's easier to be a victim. But you know what? I'm really grateful that there's a way out. And I'm grateful you gave it to me. Because it really is a lot more satisfying and gratifying if I'm the one who does it, if I make the choice. Okay. So the Ramban says on Shmos. This is Moshe at the burning bush. Ki nizkadeh kol hahar beretet hahar. Why did Moshe have to take his shoes off? Because the mountain, this was Har Sinai, became sanctified with the Shekhinah coming down to rest upon the mountain to communicate with Moshe. The Shekhinah was present. There was a tangible revelation of God's presence in the world. The Shekhinah. So the whole mountain became holy, and therefore it was forbidden for him to wear shoes. Vekach Amru, and this is what Chazal teaches. Bechol makom Every place where the Shechina is revealed, where God's tangible presence is revealed. Asur bin ilas It is forbidden to wear shoes. Bechain bi Yoshua. That's what happened with Yehoshua when he saw the malach. Bechain kohanim. Also the kohanim in the Beis HaMikdash, because it was revelation of Shechina, at least in the first temple. Lo Shuba Mikdash, They only walked barefoot in the Beis HaMikdash. We mentioned that. All right. So, we still have only intensified the question of is it better to be touching the ground or not? Is it better, is it a higher level wearing shoes, or is it a higher level not wearing shoes? So, another piece for this puzzle this is from the Derech Hashem of the Ramchal. Um, I think, in the, in the in, interest of time, I'm just going to excerpt out from the English, this is the Feldheim's English translation. I think Arya Kaplan wrote it. Um, I'm not going to read from the Hebrew, even though the Hebrew, Ramchal's original language is exceedingly powerful. Uh, the Vilna Gon testified about Masilos Yesharim that there's not, there may be as much as one extra word in Masilos Yesharim. possibly not. It's it's that carefully thought through. So it's a pity not to read Ramchal's work inside, but we don't have so much time. Okay. All physical things are a result of transcendental forces. We've talked about this idea. I'm sorry, it's going to sound much more mystical here, right? But everything physical is an expression, a materialization of a spiritual reality. And the details are a consequence of what is reflected to them by these spiritual forces, according to their details and qualities. Everything in the world is... uh, has its cause and origin in an aspect of spiritual forces. And the one who oversees all of these is Hashem himself. And the human race is different from all other species. How are we different from all other species of living creations? Because the human race was given free will and the ability to involve itself with perfection and deficiency. Meaning we can act to make things more perfect and we can act to make things less perfect. We have something called free will. Therefore, Hashem also deals with us differently than other species and oversees, with hashkacha pratis, every detail of what we do, of what people do, rather than, let's say, with animals. There's, this is a certain approach in, uh, in understanding hashkacha pratis that says that, let's say, there's a herd of antelope, doesn't necessarily matter which antelope, the herd is treated as a single unit. So which antelope stumbles and falls, which doesn't, as long as the end result is a certain way. This is one way of understanding it. So, but with people, each of a person's deeds and the results are scrutinized. And Hashkaka Pratis then responds in accordance and in measure, measure for measure, mida mida of our behavior and our choices. Okay. One of the things the Ramchal is telling us in this passage is that everything that is created is an expression of a spiritual reality and therefore it has the capacities and abilities that are dependent on the spiritual reality right if it's able to do something if it's big or if it's small if it's strong or if it's weak the color that it has Everything about the physical reality is actually expressed out from the spiritual DNA of whatever that creation is. People also are an expression of our spiritual DNA. And because of the spiritual force behind us and the tasks that we have, therefore we are given the powers, the abilities, the resources required within ourselves, not only in the environment around us, Up till now, we've talked about brachos and talked about how the environment around us contains what we need to do our tasks and that when we see things and experience things in the physical world, we thank Hashem. And we thank Hashem because we're connecting these things to their spiritual source and recognizing that they have a spiritual source and have a spiritual utility. But also everything inside of ourself is a physical manifestation of our spiritual reality and that includes our ability to have free will. The fact that we have free will is an expression of our spiritual reality and of who we're meant to be. Okay. Which means, as Ramchal says here, that one key difference between a person and every other form uh, creature in creation is that we are po'alim. We do. We create an influence. We affect others. We are not just nifalim. We are not just acted upon. We're not passive. We are actually creatively affecting the world around us. Okay, that is a godlike aspect of tzelam elokim, the fact that God creates us right with a neshama, brings out it, it by force. Means that we have free will, and we have impact. Shoes do two things at once. They protect us from the earth and they also allow us to be in contact from the earth. They separate us from the ground, but they also permit us to be in contact with the ground. How do they permit us to be in contact with the ground? Because it's really hard to walk for a really long amount of time on the ground if you don't have shoes to protect your feet. So the shoes are both a barrier and a connector. They're doing both. And what they're doing is they're separating us from the ground and simultaneously allowing us to move freely through the world. So the shoes have a bigger importance than just how I get from my house to the school or to the car to the school. The shoes are actually an enabler for me moving through the world at all, they kind of represent that which holds together the basket of all the needs that God has given me. Sha'asali Ali calls our key. When we put on our shoes, we say, thank you for giving me everything I need. Because everything I need is everything that I require in order to interact with the world and fulfill my purpose in the world. And the shoes are the, <laughs> they're the key in the lock, right? A man'ul is the same word as na'al. A man'ul is a lock. They are the key that fits in the lock that allows us to be able to turn and function and work and, and move. Okay. So, now I'm going to read you a little passage from Rav Hirsch. We, we took a little detour, but it's the last i share. That's risky. Okay. Okay. Rav Hirsch says... If we want to understand about shoes, then what we're really asking is to understand this idea of, of a barrier between man and earth and a connector between man and earth. That's really the question, right? It's better to be touching the earth or better to be separated. And in fact, Adam and Adama are the same word. Adam is a man, a human, not, not a male, a human. And Adama means the earth, one of the words for earth. But which is it? Now, I have to tell you that I assumed, as I think many do, according to Rev Hirsch, that the word Adam is, has its root in the word Adama, meaning man was created from earth, and therefore he's called a name Adam based on the name of the earth. Okay. Rev Hirsch says, both the grammatical and logical analogy speak against the usual, usual assumption that the word Adam is derived from Adama. He says, no, Adam isn't derived from Adama. Just look at the grammar. Look at the words. Which one is the root and which one is the conjugation? That would be the Adam's the root. <coughs> exactly. And he has other reasons other than grammar. Right? But but even just looking at the root. So it's bad. Adam is the root. Adama is the conjugation of it. Not Adama is the root and Adam is the conjugation. Awesome. That's very awesome by itself. Okay. Because that would make earthborn the characteristic of man. Mm-hmm. Meaning if Adam is called Adam because he's built from earth, then what are we saying? The characteristic of man, what makes him unique? What is his name? His distinctive quality? He's born of the earth. Mm-hmm. He said that would be common to all animals. That doesn't stand out. All animals were created out of earth. The special characteristic of man Stop. is that he has not entirely originated from earth. Sorry? I'm thinking it could be that he's dumb with Hashem. Yeah, that's also, that's, all, that's, that's exactly, by the way, that is the root of the word adam. We didn't cover it here. But aleph is Hashem, is the godliness, the unique soul, the neshama echidah, and dam is the blood of the earth. That's absolutely right. Okay. But you can't say that Adama is the unique quality of man because all animals are created out of Adama. What is unique about man is that he is not entirely originated from the earth. He is, but that the breath of God breathed into the earth-made body made him into a man. Okay. That takes us somewhere very different. Because you see I made those arrows? Those are like scientific arrows, right? So in chemistry, you put an arrow going one direction to show which direction the, what is it, the reaction goes or the other way. Over here, I wrote a two-way direction. Because there is always the risk. What what Reverse is saying is that it's not supposed to be that way. Adam is the root. Adamah is the conjugation. Man is supposed to be influencing the Earth. The actual planet, right? The dirt, the Earth, there is an effect that happens there. There's a saying, I saw this from Rav Yosef, quoting Rav Chaim Palaji. Na'al, Shu, is an acronym for Nachash Afar Lachmo. The snake, dust, is his bread. Right? Because Hashem said you'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust. Sorry, Nachash? Nachash Afar Lachmo. Halachem Shiloh. Lachmo. Okay, now, what does that have to do with the shoe? Why do we need to remember about Nahash <laughs> afar What does that have to do with the shoe? Okay. The nachash does nothing to get his food. He just lives off of it. He doesn't change it. He doesn't affect it. It's dust. It kind of comes in his mouth, and it's there. There's no effort. And there's no impact. Now you remember, Ramchal said, what's different about human beings than all the other creatures? We are able to impact. We create an effect. The person's result, to Adam Hashem said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. In other words, we have to make an effort. But it's not just an effort. How do we get bread? First, you've got to plow the earth. Then you have to dig holes in the earth, and then you put seeds into the earth, and then you water the earth, and then you weed it. And you, and you go through, and you sift, and refine that which came out from it. So our bread comes from the earth, and yet we change the earth to do it. We affect it, and we impact it. And the bread that we eat, we have to put, we have to put our effort in in order to get the result, and in doing that effort, we make a change to the world. What Rav Hirsch is telling us is that the fundamental quality of man is not that we are born of earth. It's that we affect earth. That's why Arura Ha'adama, right? Hashem said the land is going to be cursed. By the way, Hashem, Rav Hirsch goes to great lengths to point out Hashem never said that people will be cursed. I know we've mentioned that. What does Hashem say, though, about the earth? The earth will be cursed, and we talked about the word cursed, it means less fruitful, not blasphemed, right? The earth will be held back, restrained, not able to be fruitful, on your behalf, for your sake. The earth was affected by our actions, even then, and continues to be. I think that if we take this idea It can help us answer the question about standing on the ground when is it better to stand on the ground directly and when is it better to have shoes on because the the shoes are a barrier between us and the earth and a connector between us and the earth so when we are whole and when we are perfect when we are even not perfect when we're channeling hashem's light into the world when there's hashem's kiddusha and we're bringing that to the world then we could take off our shoes. We don't distance ourselves from the ground because we are influencing the ground and the more we're in contact with the ground, the more influence it will get from us. But when we're busy with our actions and we're busy with our production, not Hashem's Kedusha, but kind of our own actions and things, even if they bring Kedusha, but it's not the revelation of the Shekhinah into the world, then it's better that we should have a barrier to the earth. We should be wearing shoes. Why? In order that we can progress through the world. Why? Because it prevents us from getting an influence back up from the earth. So when the Shekhinah is fully dominant, then when we're experiencing that, the influence into the earth is positive, and we help the earth by being in contact. So in a place where there's a revelation of Shekhinah, it's better to have closer contact. Where there isn't the revelation of Shekhinah, where the revelation of God's will is going to depend on our actions alone, then we have a barrier, so that the actions don't get influenced from below, so to speak, right? From below in ourselves and from below in the earth. What's bad about below that? Issue? I was so afraid you were going to ask that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so. The, it goes very, very far back into creation, even before the creation of man, that there was an influence from earthiness that was not entirely in alignment with God's will. So because of that, there's always the... That's reflected in the fact that the earth is cursed, is arura v'avorecha. So it's, it's avoiding the contact with that directly. But when the flow is going really from kedusha, part of adam, toward Adama, so then you could remove the shoes. You're not afraid of getting a, a splashback of, of influence. Now we but need otherwise, most suit. of the time, we need a bodysuit. Now we're mostly so blended, the, the physical and the spiritual. We're not really in a purely spiritual state, so then we need more of a barrier. Yeah, it's late, and some people are going to have to go. Okay, so let's, let's finish up. This concept, and then I have something to give you. Actually, here one I want to hand that out now, so in case anyone has to read quickly, you can. Uh, this is a summary. This is just like looking, not really a summary, just a reminder of what we covered this year. It's not not a handout in the usual sense. Okay. So one last one last point here. Then taking this idea of the nachash afar lachmo and the idea that we are you know, which direction is our influence working and that we are not Adam from the Adama, but that the Adama is there to, to receive an influence from us, that our shoes are our protection and our interface with the harsh reality of the world. They're a barrier to the earth, but they also make it possible for us to move upon the earth. In the nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu, so he was told to remove his shoes, and after that he got more of a nevuah. So we tend to think of taking off the shoes as preparatory. But with Yehoshua, the, the malach comes, gives him a message, and says to him, take your shoe off your foot, and then there is no further message. So it isn't preparatory. There's is a meaning to taking the shoes off that matters in and of itself. Mm-hmm. That contact, that creating the chain of influence from Hashem through, through the person and into the earth, that level of revelation and kedusha. And what that tells us is that shal na'alcha, or shal na'alecha, they're slightly different. Taking the shoe off the foot represents not a preparation, but a madrega. Shoes on feet represent, shoes off of feet is a madrega. Take your shoes off your feet means you are at a certain level. It's not preparation for anything. Putting shoes on is preparation. Taking shoes off means you're at a level. You're trying to stay at the level. Now, is that higher or is that lower? We had this question, right? Is it better wearing your shoes or are you better off not wearing your shoes? Well, there are two factors there. One is how high is the level and the other is that a person, while we are alive, chayim is a constant flow, right? So ma'im chayim is water where there's always fresh water flowing in. A person who is alive is in contrast to a malach, who's an omid, who's a stander stiller. We are holeich, A goer, a walker. So which is better? Well, the level with shoes off is really higher, presumably. But we don't really want to have our shoes off most of the time. We want to have our shoes on because we want to keep going. We want to try and reach even higher levels. We don't want to stay where we are. Shoes off is a madrega. Shoes on is a going. It's a very simple way of encapsulating it and a very, very deep and profound way of encapsulating it. One is where you're at, one is where you're going. That has halachic implications, by the way. So remember we mentioned that there's a halakha a person should sell everything if they need to in order to buy shoes? Because what's the point of having anything if you can't live, if you can't do anything, right? That would be the opposite. It would be like someone without shoes. A person passes away, we don't bury them with shoes on. You don't wear shoes. Why? Because don't be afraid that a person becomes so wealthy, you don't take it with you. There's no more after that, right? So sell everything if you need to to buy shoes. Sell everything if you need to in order to keep going. You would give up all your money, your money or your life. Of course you give up the money. The life, the being able to progress, to try and move forward, even if it means stumbling back. But in order to be able to keep trying to go forward, it's worth it. This is also why we don't wear shoes when we're sleeping. Because sleeping is a madrega. It's a staying still. It's being where you're at. Consolidating maybe where you're at. But it's not going forward. When you're asleep, you don't. It's also why we don't really go barefoot while we're awake. Right? Okay. Well, we will uh, we'll skip a few of these other points because I really do want to wind up. Na'al. Nachash afar lachmo. <laughs> Na'al, the shoe. But the snake eats dust. You remember when we talked about the idea that the snake was trying to tell Chava if it feels good, it is good? How do you know what to do if it feels good, it is good? The snake, in a horrible, horrible way, got exactly what he wanted. He ate the dirt. No work, no effort, no toil. Feels good, it is good. The way it is is how it is. And there's no progress, there's no growth, there's no going up, there's no feet. He loses his feet. He has to crawl on his belly. Losing his feet means he loses his ability to progress in the world. Wow. That's what it means. Okay? But Adam got some things are tasty, some things are bitter, some things are difficult. You're gonna have to sweat. But you kapecha the effort of your hands, kisocha, when you eat them, ashracha v'tovach. It's happy for you and it's lucky for you and good for you. It's lucky for you in this world and good for you in the next world. So you remember we talked about the idea that all these brachos are really a way of thanking Hashem for the for the graciousness and the forgiveness that He treated us after the sin and gan Eden and after any, any avera, right? That He gives us the ability to come back from it. and And in the results, to be able to use these tools, to be able to come close to him. That that's really what we're saying here. The Na'l is the ability to keep moving forward. Is it a barrier? Yeah. But it also lets us keep moving forward. Okay, so this is our this will conclude our unit here. Because we're really very late. So then I have enjoyed Nal. very much. I'm sorry if I if I left out, yeah, I can I can stay, I'm not running. I have to go no, in no, I just have five minutes. No, just <laughs> as a yeah. Naal is not Afar, oh, Afar. Sorry, with an I okay. in Afar. That's yeah, afar yeah. right. lachmo. That's from Rav Chaim Falaji okay. and this is this is the idea. Our, our needs, our needs are also that Hashem is providing our needs, right? That draws us, connects us to Him. Is it this also is all so the same it, idea. Is it also related to the fact that the previous bracha was al I'm sure it is. How <laughs> short sure it is, because we said that that was the creation of the environment in which we progress and move on the earth, right? So you remember way, that? that was the defi- one right. of the definitions of the creation of the earth was a creation of environment in which man stands and moves. And also that the land kind of subsided to Hashem's will, yeah, not expanded Right, That's more. the aspect of Eretz. It's the same land. Eretz, there's right. Eretz, there's Yabasha, right. there's Adamah. Yeah. Is it also when we are on a high manjurega, we don't need protection from the elements on the land? Um, in an ultimate way, yes, but until the Messianic era, no. Meaning, Gan Eden was, in fact, perfect. There's, I don't have a Rav Hirsch here, um, but we, we actually saw it in Malbisharumi, mm-hmm. where Rav Hirsch talked about the fact that Gan Eden, the weather was perfect the natural climate and environment around us was also perfectly comfortable. And that changed. The fact that we experience hot and cold and all these things, these are all outcomes mm-hmm. of the, the effect on the earth of the sin, so to speak. The and rocks and thorns and stuff on the ground was... Absolutely, I mean, some of this was created already, but I, apparently it wasn't bothersome. Right. This is all a reminder. So this that is the two-sided nature of Koltsarki. That now we live in a time. This is, these brachos are the post-Eden brachos, right? We live in a time where we have need, but He also gives us everything we need. He gives us need and He gives us everything we need, and that keeps us bonded to Him. That keeps us close to Him, right? You know Rabbi Orlofik's story. There's a uh, teenage boy whose father got remarried. Probably not evil. And. Um, the the stepmother was not excited about the idea of marrying someone who already had a child. She wanted her own relationship. Only her own, apparently. And so the father, who was quite wealthy, said to his son, you can live in the condo, and here's a car, and here's my credit card, just don't ever call me. It, It hurts to tell the story. Okay, That's the difference between the snake and the man. God said to the snake, Here's everything you need. Go. You slide around the your food everything you need will just fall into your mouth. Just don't call me. That's a turkey. When we have needs, what do we do? We ask God to take care of us. said so that. Every it's it's in the pain that we build our bridges to God. I think we all know it from our own experiences it's true, right? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Have a great summer. Thank you. Thank you. I hate to stop. That's why I had to do this. I was like, okay, we <laughs> have to like. Okay, have to watch sad. But the end of one so thing much. and the beginning of another, right? Yeah. So Mazel tub. Like thinking, wow, your summer. You have quite a summer coming up. Yeah, uh, it's a busy summer. Gosh, um, unbelievable.